Hey everyone, Melissa Lester here. We hope this Lent series here on Emmaus Footnotes has been helpful to you. Easter is just around the corner, and in addition to this week's episode, we will have two more for you next week during Holy Week. Please share and rate this podcast to help us get the word out. For questions or comments, you can email me, melissa at emmaus.church. Today, Pastor Nathan continues to unpack Jesus' wilderness experience by drawing lessons from the third temptation out of Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at the third temptation of Jesus. That was the first question. Where does temptation happen? Second and final question, what was the third temptation of Jesus? Here's how Matthew writes it. Verse 8, chapter 4. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Can you even believe that? And then Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's, again, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. So here's the final temptation in Matthew's account. Notice this. There's no justification on Satan's part this time. No, if you are the son of God. He's abandoned that strategy. There's no twisting of scripture in the third temptation. That didn't work. Jesus' theology is way better than Satan's. He trounced him last time. He ditches that method. There's no challenge of Jesus' ability or of Jesus' relationship with the Father. Just straight up, what feels to me like desperate, irrational appeal to greed. It's, it's the last ditch effort. It's an appeal to greed in Jesus. Almost like a bribe. Like when you get pulled over, theoretically, and your, 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 your license is out of date, right? And yes, you were speeding, and yes, I'm sorry, my, uh, my, my ID is no longer valid, but you know, I got a couple of $100 bills here, and why don't we just pretend this didn't happen? I mean, it's like, it's like that desperate. Like when you start bribing, because that's the last shot you've got. This temptation um, of Christ, it almost feels silly to me. Like, why would Jesus fall for this? But then I remember how it feels like at the end of a workout where I am exhausted, I feel sick, and somebody says, hey, you want to just be done now, and here's some water? It's, It's not what I want, but in the moment, I want it. In the moment, I want it. Or imagine you plan this big trip with your family, and you've got all these great things scheduled and planned and you've saved money and you've made the arrangements. And then at 3.30 in the morning, your alarm goes off so that you can catch your international flight. And you actually in the moment are willing to put the whole thing at risk by hitting snooze, right? It's like, it's not what you want, but in the moment you want it because you're not thinking clearly and you're exhausted and it's the end of the 40 days of temptation. So in one sense, it feels like how would Jesus ever even possibly like be tempted by that? But he said, I was tempted by this because he's, he is exhausted, right? And somehow this taps into something that was legitimate at some level. Satan's last play to confuse Jesus' identity or his, and to derail his mission is the promise to give him all the kingdoms of the earth and the, the splendor therein. He says, you can have it all, Jesus. You can have it all. Just worship me. That's all I need. Just worship me and you can have it all. It's completely irrational, but it doesn't mean it's not tempting. So don't get cocky. 
Nate, right? It's completely irrational, but it doesn't mean it's not tempting. So how does Jesus respond? He does two things. First, he forcefully renounces Satan. Get away from me, he says. And then he declares ultimate truth. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What I appreciate most about Jesus' response is the clarity of his response, right? Get away from me. I serve my father. It's just crystal clear. There's no consideration of of Satan's deal. Jesus doesn't pause and go, man, that doesn't even seem to make sense. How would that work? Can you kind of spell that out? He doesn't do that. He doesn't play the game. He doesn't buy into the terms. It's just out of hand, like, no, get away from me. Uh, Sandy was helping me with this, with this sermon on Thursday, and, and she said, when temptation presents itself, don't invite it in for a latte. Like, that would just be the, that's the wrong kind of, let me think about that a little. Let me consider, why don't we sit down together? No, there's no hesitation in Jesus here. There's no, well, maybe a little wouldn't hurt, or yeah, maybe I'll just have one. It's away from me, away from me. St. Benedict, sixth century monk, He says, while temptation is still young, cast it far from your heart. Another place he says, dash it against a rock while it's still young. Isn't that insightful? Before temptation matures, before it gets sophisticated, before it gets its fingers into other relationships, before it becomes so powerful that your chances are slim, while it's still young, when it starts in the mind, end it in the mind. Cast it as far away from your heart as you possibly can. Don't invite it in for a latte. As soon as it enters your mind, get it away, 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 away. The series in a sentence is this, away. (laughs) Get out of here. Jesus says, get away from me. He's like, this conversation is over. And then the exclamation point at the end of his 40 days of temptation is this statement of ultimate allegiance. And I think that's really important. Write that down. Jesus responds to temptation by speaking a statement of ultimate allegiance. What is it? It is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. It's resolute. It's 100%. There's no compromise. Jesus declares ultimate truth. He's almost preaching at this point. You don't even get the sense that Jesus is in defense mode. He's like bringing it already. Like, yeah, there's one God. We serve one God. I'm serving one God. Now, one of the organizations here in Lincoln that, are, that we together, we support, um, is this place called Mercy Multiplied. It's a residential program for young women uh, who are in all sorts of different kinds of trouble. And some of the trouble that they're in, not all of it, some of them have been offended for sure. Some of the trouble that they're in is because they have believed things about themselves that are not true. They have believed lies about themselves that have led to destructive, limiting um, uh, tragic kinds of behaviors and, and results. Um, and so uh, part of the curriculum that is used in Mercy Multiplied in their recovery seeks to address the lies and the temptations that are uh, by, by battling them with truth. In other words, some of these things have been spoken maybe once or twice about them. And that's not why they've become destructive. The reason that these lies have become destructive is because they've allowed them to live. They've invited them in for a latte and why don't you just move on in while you're at it? And they've believed these things and they've played them over and over and over and over in their heads for years. And, and they've, they've shaped their lives now. Lies like this. You don't really matter. Lies, lies like... Uh, you are unlovable. 
Nobody wants you around. Somebody told me that they're in a meeting where one parent had already left the kid and the kid got in trouble. And then the second parent comes into the meeting and in front of the authority from the school said, now neither one of us want you. And then that gets played over and over and over again. Or maybe the lie is, you don't have what it takes. Maybe somebody has said something like this at some point. The reason these lies become so destructive and debilitating is because they're played over and over. They're played on repeat. When life gets hard, when you're tired, when you're stressed, when things don't work out at home or at work, this is the lie that pops into your head. These are the temptations that we're, uh, these are the lies that we're tempted to believe are true. Can any of you relate to stuff like that? Is there something that you hear in your mind over and over again? I can't read your mind. It's part of what makes it so challenging is nobody can see up here. But if I could read that lie in your mind, and if you could read the lies that tempt me, what, what would yours say? What would I read happening inside your head? What's the lie? If you know it, write it down. Uh, Write it down. This is just for you. It could be helpful. The ancient church calls this confession. Confess this. This is what I hear. This This is what I start to think is true. And so then the journey toward restoration for these young women at mercy begins with them identifying these words, these lies, these things they're tempted to believe. And then they write down a truth from scripture that counters these very untruthful statements that counter the lie. And this is essentially what we see Jesus doing in this third temptation, right? Satan says, all of this can be yours. All of this, all of this can be yours. Just give me what I want. We'll call it good. Nobody's going to get hurt. And Jesus responds by saying, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this is Jesus quoting scripture to counter the lie of Satan. So I wonder, are you aware of a scripture that would counter that lie that runs through your head? Are you aware of a scripture that that addresses that, that you could, that speaks directly to that? You should write it down. And if you're not aware of one, that's your next step. Talk to somebody today confess to them, this is, in my, in my dark moments, this is what I hear. And give somebody else an opportunity to help you discover some truth from scripture that actually addresses that lie. Like Melissa was saying, we can't just stop thinking about the, the lie. We have to replace the falsehood with a truthful statement. And here's what I think is so powerful about what happens um, over at Mercy. They teach the girls to do these three things. Summarize um, the, the truth statement, summarize the scripture, and then personalize it, add a, add a pronoun like me or I to the scripture, and then vocalize it. Like turn it into a mantra, turn it into a slogan, turn it into a response. Bring that battle out into real full life in a sense and, and engage aggressively this series of lies that are, that are um, threatening to take you down. Speak it. Declare the truth. So this could be really helpful. Uh, I wish we could all do this personally. Um, Let me just show you an example with what Jesus says. 
as, as an example. So if we take Jesus's response to the lie of Satan, Jesus's response is worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. Well, that's pretty short, but we might summarize that by saying that's essentially a command for wholehearted devotion. That's my best, that's my best shot at summarizing that. That's a command for wholehearted devotion. I could personalize it by saying, I choose wholehearted devotion. That's how I personalize that. I choose wholehearted devotion. And then I could make that a mantra. I could make that a slogan, right? So when I get a critical phone call and I feel like I'm terrible at what I do, I could say, I choose wholehearted devotion. It doesn't even really address that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It, it lines me up, right? It lines up my heart. Uh, when I'm tempted to, to look at something that I know is destructive and harmful, I choose wholehearted devotion. It becomes a mantra. Um, when, when, I'm, when I'm tempted to like aggressively respond to somebody in judgment, I choose wholehearted devotion. This can be a really practical and really helpful spiritual discipline. Take the lies that are offered, the shortcuts that are offered, the temptations Like, all of this can be yours. You can be happy. Have whatever you want. Just give me what I want, says the devil. And you can respond to that by saying, no. For me, it's wholehearted devotion. That's my mantra, right? Now, I just end by saying this. Paul and other writers of of the Bible, they are convinced that real transformation is possible. They are convinced that real life change is possible. And one of the ways real transformation takes place, according to Paul, is by the renewing of the mind. By the renewing of the mind. By believing what is true and using those truths to reject what is false. This, friends, is how we resist temptation. This is how we win the battle in our minds. And so may God give us the grace and the power to do this so that we're not walking around like a lot of people in our culture. Everything looks great. Look how shiny and effective and polished my life is. I got it all together. And inside I'm a, I'm a wreck because I'm believing all kinds of lies about myself. We don't need to live like that, right? We can embrace the truth that is better than the lie. We can have this integrated life where we're free inside and so we can live free. We don't have to put on this appearance that everything's okay. We will unless we deal with this. And so with great hope in the power of God, the power of God specifically to renew our minds, may we embrace the truth in the face of temptation, reject the false and hold on to the truth. Um, In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. God, please give this community great grace to be free and to live in Jesus' name. You have just listened to episode number 31 of Emmaus Footnotes. 